It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. 1850-333-103. Phone lines are open. Now, the phone lines have already been busy. Uh, so just to bear with us, because I know it can be frustrating for people when they can't get through, but you can always contact us via text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And if you particularly need to talk to us, you can text or WhatsApp and request a call back and John Paul will get back on to you. I promise you uh, that. We're already uh, getting uh, texts in on a variety of different issues, including Henry and Blarney was on uh, to say interested in other people's thoughts but he was particularly pleased with the publican and he says well done to the publican for sharing the story of the customer who came into his bar, a a woman she took a piece of glass from under her top and then put it into her mouth and then pretended to start choking. Then when the bar staff went over to her she says that the glass was in the food and that she had accidentally eaten it. Now luckily luckily there was security cameras, CCTV cameras in the bar and they came to the rescue for of this County Kildare publican because if he did not have the film footage which clearly shows the woman because she looks around you know to make sure nobody's looking at her you can see her putting her hand in under her top taking something out putting it into her mouth and then starts this she'd have won an, an Oscar for her acting then starts this pretending to choke letting on that the piece of glass had been found in the food. If they didn't have had that CCTV footage, that publican would have been absolutely fleeced because she would have had a massive claim against him. So the businessman decided to go public on it. He's a gentleman by the name of Vivian Carroll and he is the owner of Judge Roy Beans where the footage was taken. It's it's a a pub um, that serves food in Newbridge in County Kildare but it reveals the extent of the threat facing businesses as you know there's soaring insurance premiums and high compensation uh, claims and this case is clearly showing the lengths some people will go to for fraudulent uh, cases and that that guy another and no doubt it's happened to other publicans only for the CCTV footage and what happened then was as soon as it happened obviously a member of staff went back to the CCTV realised what was going on called the guard the they and showed the woman 
the CCTV footage showed the Gardaí, the CCTV footage. Now, see, the Gardaí took her details and then she uh, left. And it's understood that the fact that the woman was shown the CCTV footage and that the Gardaí were called means it's now unlikely she's going to make any claim. And as no crime was committed, she is unlikely to face any sanction. And that, to me, is the annoying part. Uh, Even though she could have made a fraudulent claim. The fact that she doesn't make the claim means she hasn't done anything wrong. But yet the footage clearly shows her putting the glass in her mouth and then a conversation going on with bar staff where she's claiming to the bar staff the glass was found in her food. Surely there should be some that should be a crime. She should be able to be brought to, co- brought to court knowing that she was going to make some kind of a claim. Otherwise, why would she have pretended that the glass was found in the food? The Director of the Alliance of Insurance Reform, Peter Boland, who's spoken so many times on this programme about how businesses have closed because of the spiralling cost of insurance and because of the number of claims that are going through the court. He says the footage is a reminder of the type of personal injury accidents experienced by organisations all over Ireland and the crippling insurance costs they cause. He says reform of the sector was simply taking too long and so say all of us because all of us law-abiding people who wouldn't even consider getting involved in a case like that or even taking a claim against somebody even if you have a minor little accident there are a lot of people won't take claims but unfortunately there are other people who set up fraudulent cases or who maybe genuinely were involved in a very minor accident and really there was nothing wrong with them but they exaggerate the claim and then all of us end up paying because we're all paying rising insurance costs and we all pay extra even from the businesses because the businesses their insurance is going up so therefore that means their costs are going up they have to pass on the costs so it's us the customers that go in ultimately are paying and then businesses are closing and local communities are losing out there's employment people are being made un- un- uh, unemployed their services are no longer longer available to people we've heard the threats to the wonderful voluntary sector that's out there organising festivals that we all enjoy attending a lot of those are under threat of just not going ahead some of the festivals have already disbanded the committees are gone because they can't afford the cost of the public liability insurance. So I have to agree with Peter Boland of the Director of Alliance for Insurance Reform. The reform that we've been promised by our politicians is simply taking too long. Something has to happen. 1850-333-103. Your thoughts and comments welcomed. Also coming up on the programme this morning we're going to hear about a public consultation that has just opened. This is to see if we need tighter dog controls. We have dog controls in place at the moment and we have the dangerous dogs and there are certain breeds listed on the dangerous under the dangerous dogs laws and it means when they're out in public have to be on a lead it has to be an adult with them the dogs certain breeds have to be muzzled at all times are there other breeds that need to be added to that list for example should we be looking at some breeds and should they just be simply banned we should no longer be allowing these breeds in the country we'll speak with the minister responsible for this public consultation on the programme this morning. If you're going away on holidays and you're going to foreign climes and you've booked your holiday online, do you know what are your consumer rights? We're giving advice to holidaymakers, 
hopefully you go away on holidays and absolutely nothing goes wrong. But what if something does go wrong or what if you arrive at your destination and what you thought you'd booked was very different. When you, when you get there, it's very different and instead of it being paradise, you end up having the holiday from hell. Where do you go for compensation or how do you go about when you're actually on holidays? Is there anything you can do to sort out the problems? We'll be talking about that on the programme. We're going to dig deeper into the safe food study that we mentioned yesterday with Katrina Toomey of Penny Dinners showing that 10% of Irish people live in food poverty. We'll get an actual definition of food poverty and what needs to be done to get people out of food poverty. And we're also going to reconnect with the Bandin group who last weekend, a group of them climbed Coron Tool. It was done as a fundraiser, but they did it with a twist. They brought a rowing machine with them. We'll find out how that all went. And it is Wednesday and on a very sunny Wednesday, Peter Dowdell will join us answering all of your gardening questions. So throughout the morning, you can get a gardening question into us and we'll put it to Peter after half past 12 uh, today. And we also will be hearing more about the new Greenway which is planned for East Cork uh, with everybody saying that this is going to bring a major boost uh, to the area. That and more coming up. We welcome throughout the morning your calls, your texts, your comments. A new public consultation has just been launched which could see dog controls tightened. The public can now give their view as part of the process to examine regulation in the area. Minister of State at the Department of Rural and Community Development is Sean Canney who joins me to outline some of the key uh, areas. Uh, Good morning to you Minister Canny and you're welcome to the programme. Thank you very much and good morning to you and your listeners. Now following a public consultation process new guidelines for dog breeding establishments they came into effect in January of this year. Are they working well? Well it's it's maybe a bit early to say but at least we have a basis by which dog breeding establishments are to be set up how they're to be managed and there was a public consultation on that last year and I think it actually tries the effort is to try and bring uh, the regulations and also to bring legislation into uh, updated to make sure that we it is actually is fit for purpose at this stage. So following on from that consultation there was a lot of people who expressed their views about the whole area of dog control and uh, as a department we've taken on uh, what people are being saying and we see there's an appetite for uh, some changes to be made. Um, for instance, uh, one of the biggest issues that I come across in my constituency here in Galway East would be dog fouling and mm. uh, public places in parks. And we, you know, we spend a lot of money uh, through our department as well as other departments in providing funding for facilities like um, sports facilities, walking facilities, outdoor recreation. And then you see dogs fouling on it, which is dangerous. It's unhealthy. Uh, it's a health hazard, especially for children. And then in some of these places you see dogs who are um, not on a leash, uh, maybe big dogs, friendly dogs, but they might jump up on a person and could knock them and and actually injure them through no fault of anybody. So we need to have, for for everybody's sake, we need to tighten up on the legislation so that we can make sure that people who have dogs have a better understanding of what their responsibilities are. Yeah, the dog fouling one, Sean, I have to say, is a huge issue here in Cork. It's an issue I could literally every day of the week have the phone lines hopping if I start talking about dog fouling because everybody has a story about it. I mean, we've got very responsible dog owners, but how do we get that message through to everyone that if you take your dog out with you, you need to clean up after them? 
and um, it, it's it's one of these things where most people are very good about it, but it's the few who are not, and the people who are selfish or feel they don't have to do something or have a disregard. So what what we're saying is that this is an opportunity for the people to have their say, and if that becomes a big issue, it's something we will have to legislate for. The other thing with it is that when, whilst we have may produce good legislation and produce good laws, we have to make sure that we have... Um, they, they, that the local authorities who, who enforce the Dark Control Act have the necessary resources uh, to, to, help, to, to help them with that. So there is, there is a fair bit to be done here. And I suppose the other thing with it, the other thing that I have, my, one of my pet, pet uh, things as well, and I don't know if other people share this, is, you know, you can buy a dog online. And I don't think that's the way we should be doing it. Mm. And uh, I, I feel that, you know, I know of people who, who bought dogs, they went and they picked up the dog maybe in a car park or at a forecourt or a filling station or wherever it should be or on the side of the road. And you've been wondering, you know, how come that's not the... That doesn't seem to be right. Uh, you know, a dog is an animal. Uh, where did the animal come from? How was it uh, taken care of? How was it um, cared for? And all of this. And, you know, when, when an owner t- uh, gets a job like, uh, uh, takes on uh, the, 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 the responsibility of having a pet or whatever, it is important that they understand what they're getting and that this dog doesn't become something of a monster in, in their own right without the, the dog owner being helpless as to know how to deal with it. So there may be an education process for dog owners in the sense that we need to uh, make it clear what the responsibilities yeah. are. Uh, it is something that I, uh, um, right across the country, because I've done uh, a, a fair few interviews with local radio stations, and the dog fouling is top of the list Absolutely. for everybody. Uh, Absolutely. I know you also want to look at the age that pups are separated from their mothers. Is, yes. is that an issue at present? Well, it, that's part of the socialisation uh, of, of dogs in that, um, you know, if they're taken uh, away, some some breeds have to be taken away at certain dates, it's a certain weeks. Uh, it's good for some, some uh, uh, pups that they're taken away at a certain age. So what we need to do is to align what we're doing with what's been done, uh, I think, in, in the UK, in Northern Ireland and across Europe, so that we are actually in sync with what we can do because there are some anomalies there and they would have built up over the year through no over the years through no fault of anybody legislation was put in place but we need to update the legislation now and mm-hmm. we also need to look at the, the the types of breeds we have in the country the types of breeds that have come into the country even since this legislation was the existing legislation was put in place and whether we should be banning any type of of uh, breeds of dog all of them kind of things will feed into this public consultation now and obviously as well Sean the long-term goal to stop the overbreeding of dogs uh, especially in puppy farms. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that, that, that's a separate issue. This is the control of dogs, but the dog breeding establishments, uh, we, we were looking at that as well. But I will say that, you know, we have very good people who, who, who have show great respect for everybody else. But it's just to make sure that uh, we have things done right, that we have a, a culture of uh, somebody takes on the responsibility of having a dog. They know what that entails from um, 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 dog licenses, from chipping them, for the from welfare point of view. Because, you know, we spend money, public money, on helping um, the, the dog shelters uh, when dogs or animals are left uh, left by the wayside. And that's a huge problem as well. And, and it's it, a lot of these... Um, animal shelters are, are working uh, so hard 
to trying and deal with all of these cases and I visited a number of them and you know you would say hold on a minute something is not right with some of the things we're doing here and we need to we need to uh, change the legislation to give people the support they need and, and the other thing is to have effective enforcement of that as well. Okay so the public consultation process is open now how do people get involved? They can go online on uh, they can go into the uh, website go online and they will find that there is uh, 10 questions there which will prompt them to um, I suppose get involved in the process give their thoughts on the questions and the closing date is Friday the 6th of September so that's a reasonable amount of time to give people to do this but I think it's important that we, we we put it out till September on the basis that okay people have gone holidays in August and they may want to do it before or uh, before they've gone holidays or they might think about it till after they come back but at least the 6th of September is the date uh, is the closing date I would also say you know that we've seen it over the years and I'm sure you've seen it um, in your own area you know with, with uh, sheep uh, worrying uh, uh, being worried by the dogs and, and what can happen there the, the total um, destruction that can happen with that type of thing so that's all plays into what we do because it's part of the control of the dogs. OK, we'll be interested to talk again at the end of the consultation, Sean. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Good morning to you. That bye, is bye, bye. Uh, Minister for State, uh, Sean Canney. 1850-333-103. Niall says, I deliver goods to a dog breeding establishment. Everybody wants to buy a pup. But Niall says he often wonders what happens to the dogs that are not purchased? The pups that are maybe not that cute. Uh, he says, does anybody know what happens if a pup isn't sold? Because none makes the point. Nobody wants to buy a dog at one or two years of uh, age. Everybody wants the puppies. He is wondering and fearful. The pups that are left over in a litter, does the breeder kill them? Or what happens to them? Or rather than kill them, are they, are they put down? I, I have no idea. Uh, we would need to hear from... Well, we're not going to hear from somebody who operates a puppy farm. I'm wondering when you say a dog breeding establishment, is that a large puppy farm, uh, Nile, that you're talking about? We would need to hear from dog breeders. See, we've got really some very responsible dog breeders who, you know, breed so many litters of pups a year and that's it and no more. And they don't do this overbreeding of dogs that we see in puppy farms and we only get to find out the condition of those dogs that have been overbred when usually when they're raided and then they end up, the dogs end up in an animal welfare group and just the condition of some of these poor dogs, it's, it's, it really is uh, horrendous. But I, it's a good question and it's one I don't think I've ever heard answered before. If, if a dog has a litter of what, five or six pups and the owner sells five of the six, what, do they just keep the last one? Do they give it away to somebody else? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's any dog breeder out there that can answer that question. I certainly would like to hear the answer. 1850-333-103. Stay on animals for a minute because John and Skibreen has been on to us. He rescued two baby blackbirds last night. Their mother was killed on the road. So he picked up the blackbirds uh, and brought them home because he said there was magpies eyeing them up. Well done, John. He now has them at home, but who or what facility can help him out? He is in the Skibbereen area. So two 
baby blackbirds. Currently being looked after by John and Skibbereen, but he really hasn't a clue what he's meant to be doing with them. And he would prefer them to go on to some kind of a facility where they can be cared for, obviously, and then returned to the wild. Where can we send John in Skibbereen with his two baby blackbirds? Now, a year on from the EU Package Travel Directive, the European Consumer Centre has issued warnings to holidaymakers to know their rights in order to avoid vacation headaches. Communications Manager for the ECC Ireland is Martina Nee, who joins me with words of advice. Good morning to you, Martina. Good morning to you. And you're welcome. Just remind listeners why this directive was introduced just over a year ago. Well, it was introduced in response to the way consumers like to book their holidays now. Before, back in the day, you used to be going down to your local travel agent on the high street. And now you'd be looking online, um, you'd be maybe selecting various elements yourself, accommodation, flight, that sort of thing. So um, in response to that, uh, the EU decided that, well, the, the, the current, well, the previous rights needed to be updated to take into account customising DOI packages or and also linked travel arrangements. So uh, just to just to update it and uh, and uh, get get with the times, I guess. So, what are the most common type of complaints you get from holidaymakers? The most tom- common types are um, well, it's, it varies because it's, because holiday packages can be, be in all shapes and sizes. But I suppose maybe um, a problem with accommodation is substandard. It's not what you expected. Um, for example, there was a consumer that uh, it, went, it was supposed to be wheelchair access. So, I mean, that was a huge uh, problem for that person. Maybe there's construction going on. Um, maybe there's an element that's cancelled, like the flight is cancelled or the cruise. There's a problem with the cruise. Um, the t- the timetable is different. Basically, it's not what you what you bought, or there's a price increase in that, or a change in some way. And even though you booked it yourself online and it wasn't done as you say, as was traditionally done through the travel agency, you still have rights. That's what, that's the message here. Yeah, well, there's the, the, the traditional travel packages that we all kind of are, that we're familiar with. The pre-arranged, you didn't have to do anything. It was there was the flight, there was the accommodation, and um, there was someone I, at the airport waving yeah, yeah, a little yeah. flag. It was all, yeah. all in one inclusive price. And then now the new rules, or they're not really new anymore, but as in, it, but but people don't know that there's also a customised and dynamic packages which have the same rights. These are when you you pick the elements yourself, but there's still the inclusive price. And then, then there's linked travel arrangements. So that doesn't have the full rights of packet travels, but, but um, travel package bookings, but it, it covers you if there's insolvency. So a linked travel arrangements when you book one particular travel service and then you're invited through a targeted link to click through to another uh, website and, uh, and book within 24 hours. So they're linked in that way. So there's more rights. It's, it's a good thing. Okay, and if and when you are on holidays and a problem arise rises, who I mean, is your first port of call complaint to the hotel? See, th- th- this is what well, you should. You should, and this is but this is a problem where, that consumers uh, encounter. They don't realise that they should also, as well as complaining to the people on the ground, maybe the airline or the accommodation or or whoever or whatever the issue is. You should also straight away, if you have a, a holiday package. 
contact the travel organiser as well because your contract is with them and you should give them the opportunity to rectify the situation because if you don't, you could encounter problems getting redressed later on and ultimately it's up to the travel organiser to try and rectify the situation for you as well. And if it is, God forbid, the holiday from hell, do you suggest gathering photographic or video evidence that you would bring home with you if you can't solve the problem when you're on holiday? Any evidence is is important. Um, get things done and put in writing. Um, say uh, the travel you're dealing with the travel organizer and your your accommodation isn't isn't up to scratch. You should you you should um, you should do it by email as well as phone call. If there's anything agreed, get it put in writing. Um, take photographs of the problem. Uh, just just evidence. Gather evidence. Don't just rely on verbal agreements because obviously it may come down to a he says she says yeah, situation yeah. later on. And things then, uh, Martina, like cancel flights. Only yesterday we were discussing a Lisbon-Cork flight that happened last uh, Saturday night where the flight got cancelled um, and the passengers ended up being stranded overnight in the airport. Now, they eventually got back 24 hours later, but they were very, very annoyed at the way they'd been treated and you know nobody from the airline there had to help them out. I mean, what recourse do they have? Well, you do. You have very strong rights under EU air passenger rights in the case of delay or indeed cancellation. If it turns out to be cancelled eventually, um, if it turns out to be cancelled, the airline is responsible for um, arranging you a refund or rerouting. Um, and then there may be you may get compensation depending on what the reason of the of the delay or the cancellation is. For there was delay, a problem with the tire. Yeah. There was a problem technical, with the tire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe technical fault. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a court of justice ruling in relation to that that stated that it cannot be considered extraordinary circumstances if it's not inherent in the normal exercise of the activity of the airline concern and is beyond its actual control. So basically, it, it, like, with any cancellation or a delay, if, if if the airline is saying it's extraordinary circumstances, then then they're not um, compensation may not be payable. But some, it, it depends, they have to prove that it was actually extraordinary circumstances, that it was beyond their control, that they took every measure to avoid it. But it's also very important when the situation is happening on the ground to liaise with the airline at all times or your tra- and or your travel organiser um, to get um, agreements in writing to, uh, and also collect, uh, get receipts for any extra expenses because a lot of people don't do that as well, you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and then it's so important to read the terms and conditions before you travel. Always. Any, any goods or services you buy, whether that's <coughs> shopping online or just like, or, or your, your holiday, always read the terms and conditions to, especially in relation to well, any anything, uh, uh, if you book a flight directly or accommodation directly, but in relation to package travel, if you just to make sure it actually is a package, because you have extra rights, obviously, if it is a package. And some people believe they've actually booked one when they haven't. Okay. And a, and a listener wants to know what happens if you book a holiday online with a travel service provider and they go bust? Are you at risk of losing your holiday? Again, that depends on um, the way it's way it's booked. Because obviously, if it's if it's package travel, um, you you have extra rights there. Um, if you book directly, say like if it's the airline, um, it's it's very if if you just book the flight by itself. Sorry, um, it, you you may have recourse then if it's 
uh, if you booked with a credit card, you could um, look for chargeback, um, and also the and also your insurance would be really important. So travel insurance would be really good there. Um, yeah. So. Mm, okay. I never forget the travel insurance and booking with a credit card. It's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's always an extra kind of a layer of safety, isn't it? Always, uh, never, always pay securely. Never pay by bank transfer um, because it just gives you that option, just in case something happens, that you can go back to the bank and credit card company and hopefully avail of chargeback, depending on the situation. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Listen. Good words of advice, and people can can get more information online. Yes, on, yeah. our, on our website, eccireland.ie. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program this morning, Martina. You're welcome. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Martina Nee, who is the communications manager for ECC uh, Ireland. As they check out their websites, the European Consumer Centre, you do have rights. Uh, even though you booked it yourself online. Now, an email into Patricia at c103.ie to say that this is from Kevin Quaid in Canturk. Hopefully Kevin is keeping well. To say that the next monthly afternoon tea is going to be held today in the Daily Grind in Canturk between three and half past four. And Kevin organises these monthly afternoon get-togethers and they're organised for if you or a loved one has any work worries about a person with dementia then you're invited to come along for a chat and some free information and everyone is very very uh, welcome uh, so that's at the Daily Grind this afternoon between 3 and 4 at 30 Now John in North Cork has been on to us he is a tad annoyed today he posted some cards for his grand for his granddaughter last week the, the birthday, obviously, posted two cards. One card had money in it and the other card was just a card on its own. There wasn't any money in it. But neither of the cards have arrived nearly a week later. Now, we've contacted on post to see if we can find out what happens in a case like that. But John is wondering, has it happened? Now, we've, we've mentioned, certainly in the past, we've had people who've had money and we're always told not to put money in, in, the, in the post. But we like to trust the service and think that everything will arrive and everything will be uh, OK. But John is wondering, has other people had items go missing? Has it, particularly when money go, you know, you put money in a card? I know, and this is a bit too late for John, I know the one thing I will always do if I'm sending a birthday card whether there's money in it or not and I rarely send money because many many years ago I'd money go missing like in, in a similar situation to what John is talking about it just never arrived and I kind of learned a valuable lesson so I've never sent money uh, since then but I might put scratch cards or something which is supposed to be the equivalent of sending money but so what I always do you know when you buy a birthday card it will come in a nice pink envelope or a lavender envelope or a blue envelope and you write the card and you, if you're putting something in you put it in and you seal it up and it's you know it straight away looks like a card I try and disguise it by then putting it into a plain white envelope you know like the half the A4 envelopes I don't know what the size that is but if you pop it into that and it looks like it's just a business letter or it's just a normal letter it doesn't look like a, a card that has worked for me in the past but I don't know what happens to these cards that just seem to randomly go missing especially the ones with the money in it has anybody else had a card posted and and it was posted didn't have to go very far it was going from North Cork 
to John's granddaughter in the city. And it's very disappointing for grandparents, you know, who want to send the cards and they want to make sure they arrive on time for the birthday so that the little one knows that, you know, granddad and grandma and nana or granddad are thinking about you, and especially on your special day. And then the card doesn't uh, arrive. There's an element of huge disappointment as well. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your calls coming in. Oh, advice for Nina, please. She finds herself in a bit of a pickle. Nina is trying to buy a house. So she recently bid on a house with a company called Bidex One. It is an auction type scenario is how she described it. Now, I wasn't aware of Bidex One. So did a quick Google search and Bidex One basically are a company. They're a digital property company and they say they use technology to enhance the experience of buying and selling property. And basically it's an online auction and they work in Ireland. They operate in the United Kingdom, in South Africa, in Cyprus and in Spain. And you go on to their website and you click on, for example, Ireland if you want to buy a property in Ireland and it shows you when the next auction, for example, the next auction is happening on Wednesday the 10th of July. So this day next week is the next uh, auction and it gives the various lots that are going to be an auction. Obviously then you go online and you bid on your property. So that's the, the theory and the idea behind it. Anyway, Nina was bidding on a property and she was very lucky to be the highest bidder on a property that she was trying to purchase in Mallow. So she was told she was the highest bidder and they looked for a deposit of €4,500, which she duly handed over and she was all very excited. So while the paperwork and everything else is getting sorted out, you know, the countdown to moving into a new house, you're you're making sure that you have everything ready and, and all of that. She decided she'd go and have another look at the house. So when she went to have a look at the house, at this stage now she's put down the deposit, she discovered there was tenants in the house that she wasn't made aware of when she bid on the property. So she got talking to the tenants and explained, I'm after buying this house, you know, when are you moving out kind of thing. And they said, we have no intention of moving out of this house. They also explained they've been living in the property for 14 years and one of them actually was trying to purchase the house. Now, whether one of them was involved with the bidding and... Nina bid more I don't know but anyway they basically said look you can forget about it because we're not we're not going anywhere we're here 14 years we're going to dig our heels in we're not going to move out so Nina now realises that she's in a situation that she you know will have a fight on her hands to get these tenants out in order for her to move in so she's decided the best thing is walk away but She's now discovered that she'll lose her deposit of €4,500. So she's looking for advice from listeners. Has anybody else bid or bought a property through this online company, BidX1? Now, we've sent an email after them to try to find out what's, you know, what's the best route now for Nina to take. But John Paul tells me that it seems with this particular company, once you pay the deposit, you don't get it back. It's obviously in their terms and conditions. I don't know if Nina was aware of that when she paid the deposit. So people do need to be aware of that. You know, with most other houses, you can pay a deposit and if something goes wrong, you can get your deposit back. But that doesn't seem to be the case with this online company called BidX1. As I say, we've emailed we're waiting to hear back uh, from them. But we'll give it out there to see has anybody else dealt with the company and does anybody else have advice for Nina as to what she can do 
you know, she's, she doesn't want to fight for it because she just reckons, you know, these, these the, the people that are in the house are going to dig their heels in that they're 14 years. They have no intention of moving. I mean, if she was to go down the route of, of buying the property and then trying to get them evicted, she could be there. God knows how long she'd have to wait and what kind of cost would be involved in all of that. So I think she's probably doing the sensible thing in walking away from the property, but she wants to walk away from the prop, property with her cash in her back pocket, i.e. she wants a four and a half thousand euro. So has anybody else dealt with bid X1 and what advice would you have for Nina? 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Am I going to line one now, John Paul? I am. I'm going to Jer in Mallow. Uh, good morning to you, Jer. Hi, Patricia. Now, I'm very well. Now, you have contacted the programme because you, do you travel the Cork to Mallow Road on a daily basis? I do, sometimes, multiple times in a day. Okay. And what have you noticed over the last two years? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably what a lot of other people have noticed. Um, like, the volume of traffic on it, I suppose, like, yeah, fair enough, one could argue it has increased, you know. Um, but I feel myself it's only increased moderately. Um, a lot of that increase is down to people not doing the adequate speed on the road. Um, like, there's a lot of days we go up it, you know, and not just driving a car, you know, sometimes, like, we have a sprinter, um, we, we, we do hires, so we drop equipment in Cork a lot of the time. Okay. Um, we go up the Cork Road, like we said, you know, van full of gear. Um, fine if you come up behind a tractor or a combine harvester, you know, sometimes, you know, they might not be doing adequate speed. They can't help it, like, you know what I mean? It's, you know, you have these machines on the road there sometimes. And they're not going to be on the road for very long anyway. Yes, so yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, so they're not really a problem, you know, but what is a problem is um, there seems to be some kind of a magnetic field over the Cork Road, like I was kind of describing it to John Paul this morning, because what you have is, right, you blow the drivers that can drive properly on nearly every road, yet when they seem to hit the Mallow to Cork Road, something seems to take over inside and, you know, they don't abide by the signs at the side of the road. They don't seem to have any common sense. They just, you know, seem to plod along at 50 or 60 kilometres an hour, like, you know what I mean, irrespective of... OK, you know, so it's it's slow dri- slow drivers yes. is, is the issue. Cautious, yeah. cautious drivers. I, I wouldn't even say that. I would just say completely reckless. Like, I mean, look, it's one thing to be cautious. It's another thing to be entirely stupid, you know. Um, yeah, speed does kill. But so does driving too slow. Like, I mean, driving too slow is almost as much as a, of, a ha- of a hazard, if not more, than driving too fast. I'll give you an example. We were going up the Cork Road a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't know, if, like a lot of the listeners now would be familiar, uh, the turn-off for Bottle Hill. Mm. So we're coming up the road in the Sprinter. We have a full load in the Sprinter. Um, you're gradually keeping having to slow down because the person in front of you can't maintain speed. So they lose, we'll say, five kilometres an hour. You're dropping five. They're dropping five. You're dropping five because the configuration on that road is one lane, two lanes, one lane, two lanes. Yeah. So you can't overtake at every point. Sometimes you could be waiting for four or five kilometres to overtake, you know. So the reality here is that you're stuck behind a car who is constantly, gradually decreasing in speed. Um, and the scenario that I actually had one morning was that they were doing this on the approach to the Bottle Hill turnoff, and then there was a car parked at Bottle Hill, you know, kind of, we'll say, waiting to come out onto the main road. Yeah. And this guy driving in front of me just decided to stop to allow the car to come out. Stopped out in the middle of the road? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, fair enough. He might have saw me in the mirror and he might have saw my van in the mirror. 
But these drivers are not stopping to think about the load that I might have in the back of that van. Which, if I brake, we'll say at force, and you know you're doing 70 or 60 kilometres or 80 kilometres or whatever speed it is, like you're going to have a braking distance. Now, I'm trying to maintain the braking distance between me and him, but I can't do that if if they keep decreasing in speed. Eventually, you know, it's going to come to the point where I'm going to be up there backside and the fella behind me is going to be up my backside and the fella behind me And then we've got, we have a pile up on the road and the road just stops completely. Absolutely. And, and is there a particular time of the day or no. can it be at any, any time of the day? Uh, any time of day, all day long. And what's even more phenomenal is, right, that when you're coming down there in the evenings in particular, right, we'll say, it, and it kind of doesn't really matter which way you're going. When you approach Rat Duff, right, like I know there's a speed limit in Rat Duff and it's 60 kilometres an hour and it's only just that one signpost so what effectively happens is, we'll say if you're an effective driver and you can adjust your speed, you should be able to adjust your speed coming into Ratdoff. And even with a flow of traffic, the traffic should be flowing because, like, there's no traffic lights, there's no stop sign. There's, there, there's a 12-mile open road in front of Ratdoff. Yes, the, tra- the traffic is at a complete standstill there with nothing out in front of it nearly every evening. But you, you, you can't just be blaming slow drivers. You have to allow for that. There is a, a, a huge increase in, in absolutely. traffic. Yeah. Absolutely, there is. But my point is, right, crashes don't just happen when cars are going fast. Crashes are way more likely to happen when those cars are clumped up, clustered, closer together yeah, because yeah, they don't yeah. have reaction times. And that's my point. Yeah, my and you point. are going to get pile-ups in those situations. So, so a possible solution then, Ger? Possible solution... I think, Patricia, like, I go up there sometimes, right, and you have maybe a big percentage of cars are, we'll say, you know, you might have 90% of them adhering to the signs at the side of the road, the speed signs, we'll say, right? Yeah, because so we'll it's there, 100 no, kilometres for most is, of that road. It yeah. is, it is. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go up there doing 100 kilometres an hour, but my point being, you know, you stick close enough to it, you know, like, maybe 90 or something, like, you know what I mean? The signs are there to, to ensure that it, it's safe speed and that you don't go over it. That what's on the sign is deemed to be a safe speed for that road. We'll say the safe average speed. Now, it also acts as an instruction to traffic coming onto the road because what it should indicate is, right, well, this is the average speed on this road. Um, if you're going to join the road, just be aware of it, like, you know what I mean? And you should be kind of joining the road at in or around that speed to avoid any collision, you know what I mean? Or, you know, yeah, any yeah. experience, you know what I mean? Or to obstruct any of the traffic that's already travelling on that road, you know? And the same logic would apply to cars coming off of the course, like, you know what I mean? It's, you know, but they're, they're, they're small things. But if every car on the road was abiding by the signs, number one, the cars would be farther apart on the road, they wouldn't be clustered together, so the likelihood of a crash would be far less. Number two, journey times and um, build-up of traffic would, it would actually also help to build up a traffic because half the reason the traffic is building up is because it's just moving too slow mm. you know okay. like, like I'm not saying that well, they have to go down or do 100 but you know they could do more than 50 like, alright you know we, well you've, you've, you've put it out there let's see what other listeners uh, think are they noticing a lot of very slow drivers particularly on the Cork to uh, Mallow Road safe driving Ger no and, uh, and thanks uh, for joining us 1850 333 Alyssa says hi my TV Serview is down since yesterday evening. No signal comes up on a blank screen. I replaced the aerial etc. recently. I'm wondering is there a general failure or outage or is it just me? I live outside Rathgormac thanking you. So we need people in the Rathgormac area who have Serview how they access their TV, they access it through 
Fairview. Is anybody else had an outage since yesterday? What could possibly uh, is there's a general outage outage, or is it just something wrong in this particular listener's house? anyone has an answer there would like to hear from you please 1850 333 Dan in Spittle was listening to the interview I did yesterday with Katrina Toomey of uh, Penny Dinners he says this is the same Penny Dinners which is located only metres from the planned new events centre for Cork with all the money that they're planning to pump into it and have already pumped into it and it's still not built yet and we are in a country that's trying to build a very large Children's Hospital in Dublin which is going to cost millions and we've already spent big money on a state-of-the-art maternity centre at CUMH but what is the point in having these wonderful facilities uh, if the parents leave the hospital and then have to push their toddler in a buggy that can I say was a toy buggy into penny dinners just to get a hot meal it's the young people in today's society who are suffering and yet we are still talking about building centres like the event centre that money instead could be put to much better use that's from Dan in Ballinhasic and Tom and Karen Tool was responding to our listener who posted the two cards to his granddaughter from North Cork to Cork City one had money in it neither of the cards arrived Tom in Carrick Tool says it's happened to us on a number of occasions where we've sent cards including on one particular occasion we sent it by registered post the cards never arrived to their destination the registered post one by the way did have money inside but it never arrived we got absolutely no satisfaction from on post but I think Patricia's advice is good we all need to be disguising the cards it's the only way to ensure that they will get there and Nula in Mallow wants to offer advice to Nina Nina is the lady who has bid on the house and bought a property in Mallow through this BidX1 this online auction house where you do all your bidding online and now she's discovered after buying the property that there's tenants in the house that had been in there for 14 years and she was never told there was tenants in the property and they're saying you know nice one that you bought the house but you'll some hope of getting in because we ain't moving out and they said to Nina that somebody in the house was trying to buy the property and one of the family members was trying to buy the property and whether they were bidding against Nina I don't know Nula suggests let the people who were in the property pay Nina the four and a half thousand euro deposit and then let them buy the house at the price that Nina agreed. If they want the house that badly and they're digging their heels in, then let them buy the property. Hmm. Could she get on to, I wonder, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be, it isn't just as simple as somebody writing the cheque and handing it over. But if she got on to BIDX1, I wonder, could, and getting get in contact with whoever it is in the family that are living in the house that wants to buy it and could they sort something out? It's a suggestion, Nula. Certainly is a, is a suggestion. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Now, experienced block layer is required for immediate start for work in Cork City and in McCroom. E. Tarrant and Sons, their Skoda dealers in Bantier, they're looking to recruit a service advisor. Two years' experience in the motor trade is required. Person wanted to do light housework and preparing dinners, that's in the Buttervent area. And a full and part time staff are required for a busy bar in Mallow Town Centre. 
fluent English and good communication skills are required. Bar experience preferred, although not uh, essential. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Okay, and I can see there's a number of calls and comments coming in from people who are agreeing with uh, Jur on the slow drivers. Uh, One texter says, totally agree with your caller Jur on slow drivers. I was driving to Mallow, a middle-aged driver in a Ford car, held us up the whole way from Mallow, from, to Mallow from Charleville. He continued to do 60 kilometres hogging the white line. Then we caught up with a silage crew who pulled in to allow us to pass. I was fearful for my life as sales reps in company cars were stressed to the last and they were trying to get to their next destination. They were trying to pass at all the wrong places. I think slow drivers should be fined as they're causing a backlog and a lot of road rage. That was WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. I will return to your cause because I want to move on because we spoke yesterday with Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners who highlighted the case of a young Cork couple who had walked 10 kilometres with their toddler in a doll's buggy to come to her service for food. Why? Because they had no money until their next payday. Safe Food have just released a study showing that 10% of the population live in food poverty in this country. Joining me to discuss the study from Safe Food is Joanna De Silva, who is human health and with the Human Health and Nutrition Team with Safe Food. Good morning to you, Joanna. Good morning, Patricia. How I, are you? I'm very well. Can you start by defining what you mean by food poverty? Food poverty, uh, so we are all supposed to be able to afford uh, um, a nutrition, uh, um, a diet that meets our nutritional needs. And unfortunately, one in 10, as you mentioned, in the Republic of Ireland are not able to afford um, a diet that meets their nutritional, psychological and social needs. And what we, need, what we did now this year was to update our food basket research. And this piece looks into what the basket costs for different types of, uh, of households that live in, uh, in, in low incomes, with low incomes. And we uh, came to the conclusion that it could cost up to one-third uh, for for those households to be able to afford a healthy food basket. Which households were most at risk from food poverty? Um, we we looked at uh, different uh, structures, uh, but usually uh, families living on state benefits or families earning uh, the minimum wage. Yeah, so we looked at. Uh, Parents with small children, a family of two parents with a with a child in primary school and a child in secondary school, uh, a one parent two child family, single adults and pensioners. And no surprise, uh, Joanna, to read people in rural areas more at risk uh, because they don't have access to large supermarkets. Is that Absolutely. the case? Absolutely. So it's also about affordability and uh, and how accessible some supermarkets. Some some retailer chains would be, and yes, we do see we do see uh, uh, an increase in terms of cost for uh, for rural for rural areas. That means that the proportion of their take home income is going to be higher. And households with teenagers, they appear to spend more on food. Do teen- they do? They do. Teenagers eat eat more, and the cost of a, of a teenager would be quite similar to the cost of a, of an adult. Absolutely. 
And do you find, Joanna, that families will sacrifice food to pay all the other household costs? That's a very valid point, Patricia, and it's something that we highlighted. We, we do find that the food budget can be quite flexible uh, and, and, and sometimes people need to prioritise other bills that need to be paid at a certain time. And, and we do know that sometimes the option is to buy foods that are nutritionally poor when you have to prioritise other things, absolutely. And what, what is in a healthy food basket? What's in a healthy food basket? Fruit, vegetables, uh, meat, dairy products, everything that, uh, that, uh, that the healthy eating guidelines would, uh, would recommend. Uh, and we spoke about the social element and, and there is also a small allowance uh, each week to, to provide for a snack for visitors or, or to celebrate an occasion. Uh, and, and that's why this food basket meets nutritional, uh, social and psychological yeah, needs. And that's very important. And the social and psychological part, it, it is important that if somebody's coming important. to visit that you would have something to offer them. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think the um, this research is quite strong because we work with, the, this is what we call a consumer-led study, so we work with people to put these baskets together, so they put them together themselves, uh, and uh, and we know that these meet their nutritional needs. And would better cooking skills, Joanna, help some of these families, um, uh, particularly the ones on social welfare or at a minimum wage job, to get out of food poverty? That could be one of the elements, but uh, but, but let me emphasise, it is one of the elements. Uh, and, and we say food. We try to, to support uh, with, the, with our community food initiative programmes. We try to support with some online resources. For example, we developed a, a recipe booklet with MAPS and the HSC 101 Square Meals. And there's very good advice around very simple, uh, very simple recipes and very affordable too but that is just one part of the of the solution uh, absolutely better better cooking sp- skills and and better meal planning yeah yeah i mean cooking from scratch but again uh, you have to remember it takes time yeah. we need to have the equipment the facilities to to to, to cook and not everyone can cook from uh, from scratch. Some people won't have the equipment or facilities to cook. Some people won't have the cooking skills. Some people won't have the time. So well, it, is, yeah. it is a very complex. It is a very. Complex and and I'm also thinking of that poor family that I spoke about who who walked the ten kilometres. They're living in um, emergency accommodation, so they're in a hotel room somewhere. Um, so they, I mean, they don't have cooking facilities, and there's it, there's it are very, so many families in that situation. It is very challenging. I know that Focus Ireland uh, um, launched a report maybe two years ago looking into that. It was quite interesting. And if some of, the, some of your listeners would like to look into that, we, um, we have links on our website from, uh, from a workshop that we did last year in, uh, in September around uh, the experiences that people in uh, emergency accommodation mm-hmm. uh, um, have in relation to food and the challenges. But Joanna, if you do have the time and you do have the facilities, it is better to cook from scratch than convenience food and and and, and cheaper. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And 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 that's why I think our online resources and our start campaign. And I I, I would like to invite all your listeners to to go onto our website and to follow us on social media. We have very practical advice. 
and, and, and there are things that we can choose that are not going to compromise uh, quality at all. Um, for example, tinned or frozen vegetables or fruits. Mm. Those are fine. Those are nutritionally sound and we can absolutely use them if we are worried about spending a lot of money on on fresh uh, fruits, for example, and waste. Waste is a, is a is Huge. some concern. So frozen, uh, frozen vegetables and fruits and tin vegetables and fruits are fine. And that's the type of very practical advice and guidance that Safe Food is, uh, is offering on. A and they are much cheaper. They are, they are much yeah, cheaper. Yeah, much absolutely. cheaper. All right, listen, uh, Joanna, I enjoyed my, our chat with you. Thank you for that and thanks Thank for joining so much, us. Patricia. Good Bye. morning to you. Bye bye. That is Joanna De Silva and she's with the Human Health and Nutrition Team at Safe Food and actually uh, safefood.ie. They have a fantastic website. If you've got some time on your hands uh, to take a look uh, at it, you can check out the, that particular report, but also pick up some tips on nutritionally and getting a nutrition, a balanced nutritional diet for all of the family. OK, some of your comments coming in on the slow drivers that Jer mentioned. People are getting out. People are giving out, says the texture. When drivers are driving too fast. Now they're on your programme giving out when slow drivers are driving too slow. Get a life. That person who was driving at 60 or 70 kilometres an hour pays tax and insurance so they can drive whatever way they like. Grow up, says this uh, texter. And someone else, oh, Sheila, thank you, Sheila, put your name on it. Sheila says, Trisha, on slow drivers. Well, my son is what I would class as more or less a lively driver. But when a slow driver comes in front of us, honest to God, we're chugging along and you would nearly fall off to sleep. And Mags says, Jer, who brought up slow drivers on the Mallow Road, God help us, we'd all better stay at home. So a kind of a mixed reaction. Some people are saying they've a right if they're on the road and they feel more comfortable being cautious in their driving by doing 60, 70 kilometres in a 100 mile, 100 kilometre zone. They have a right because they're paying tax and insurance the same as Jer behind them who wants to do the 100 kilometres and is under pressure to get to his destination from a work point of view. And thank you to somebody offering advice on the Serview box. You remember we had a call in from somebody whose Serview box just is not working and was wondering, it was in the Rathcormac area and was wondering, was it just her particular house or was there an outage? Somebody says, my air Serview box went blank. Something similar to what your listener is saying. I simply unplugged it, left it unplugged for a few minutes and plugged it back in again and hey presto, it worked. And so that obviously works for the Serview box as well. It certainly works for the Sky box. Works for a lot of things, doesn't it? And it always, I always laugh when you ring up any of the service, you know, the, the helplines because something like that has gone wrong. And nine out of ten times the first question they're going to ask you, did you switch it on and off? The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
By the way, the phone lines have been very busy, particularly on that issue of slow drivers. Uh, I can see John Paul is getting a pleasure of calls from people very frustrated with slow drivers and backing what Jar said. Now, Jar was in particular talking about the Cork Mallow Road, but I can see a number of calls coming in from the West Cork area as well, with people very frustrated with the number of fl- slow drivers that are out on the road, kind of Sunday drivers that are out every day of the week. 1850 Have patience, though. The phone lines have been very busy with John Paul this morning. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with my next guest, who was preparing to head up a team of people to climb Caron Tuhal, but to do the challenge with a twist. Teddy Nine promised to join us to tell us how he got on, and I'm delighted to say he joins me on the programme today. Good morning to you, Teddy. Hey, how are you? Well, I'm very well. You did the climb last Saturday. Just remind listeners what was different about this climb of Caron Tuhal. Okay, so this time we brought up two concept, two rowing machines. Um, so in order to bring the rowing machines up to the top of Crown Tool, we had to disassemble them, pack them away into hiking bags. And we got a, a mountain guide then to lead us up. It assembled the rowing machines up on top. And we rowed 42 kilometres per rowing machine, which is the length of a uh, marathon. Disassembled the rowing machines and came back down then again. <laughs> how, uh, how heavy are... Are two rowing machines. What did the weight come out come so in at? They're roughly in and around twenty five kilos per rowing machine. So the bags between food and water um, weighed anything from twelve kilos to the one of the heavier bags being seventeen to eighteen kilos. Wow! Wow! How many of you did it? Um, we actually had eleven. After we started out with nine, but we had a couple of stragglers that were very keen on coming up. Funnily enough. So they came along. 11, 11 in total. And how long did it take from start to finish? Ten and a half hours. Oh. And the toughest part? Um, going up, I suppose. Like, it, Yeah, going up, kind of coming down to it, it's own complications just because of having that kind of weight on your back. But going up and assembling the rowing machines. That was probably the toughest. Once we got rowing, we kind of uh, done that in sections. That wasn't overly bad. Okay. Um, it was a lot of fun, really, because I'd say by, by the time we started rowing, by the time we finished rowing, there was maybe two to three hundred people passed us up along. So, like, there was a lot of, oh, of course. crack along. Yeah, right, because you had, the, you had people who were just on there climb of Crown yeah. Tool on the day, yeah. Unaware yeah. that these lunatics in West Cork were bringing rowing machines up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it was quite misty, so people were kind of coming up and before they got to the cross, they were stopping and they were almost kind of wiping their eyes and <laughs> just kind of trying to figure out what they were actually seeing. Altitude madness people, has set in. There was a couple of people cursing us because they were kind of feeling good about themselves up until the point they got to us to see us rowing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we we did a lot of good crack above there now. And Pierce too, the guy from Kerry Mountain Climbing, he was a fantastic, a good entertainer. And uh, on the way up too, he he just paced it out perfectly. So like any time any one of us got us anyway fatigued, he stopped up the whole crew. We just had a quick rest, a quick munch if we needed it, a quick drink. So he made something that was going to be very hard a, a lot easier just based on his kind of experience. So it was great having him there. And who was he? 
uh, Pierce from Kerry Climbing. Well done, well done. So uh, Pierce. Like he's up and down the mountains nearly every day of the week. He knows them as well as what we know our back gardens. Yeah. And the weather, was it a fine day? Grand up until the point, uh, or up until the top of the Devil's Ladder, and then we kind of ended up hiking up into cloud cover, really. And that and makes it, it quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. And like there was a lot of mist and a lot of fog, but it, it, it's it's the way it is. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's that way nearly 90 times out of 100. Highest mountain in Ireland, that's yeah, that you were going to have to expe- expect that. Now, yeah, you, how, exactly. much, how much money? Because it was a fundraiser at the end of the day. It wasn't just something you decided was, to do on Saturday. Yeah, so we're heading towards two grand. Now, the GoFundMe page is still open, so it's still generating a, a, a few pounds. Um, so roughly around 2,000 That's euros. good. And you're happy with that. That's, that's a absolutely nice... Absolutely delighted, yeah. And it's, like, it's going to a great cause and... Just move ever so slightly there. Your phone is just going a little bit distance. It's perfect, yeah. It's going to a good cause. Tell us about the cause. Yeah, so it's for Balloon to Boundum, which is a a festival coming to Bandon in August. And it's basically to get the community of Bandon out and about and to have events and for something to do for everybody, from the kids to teenagers to adults right across the board. So it's going to be a great addition to Bandon and with these kind of fundraising efforts too as well it'll kind of secure the future of the festival going forward yeah but b- balloon balloon abandon it's the, the gathering of abandon and yeah. and that's the yeah. idea it's to gather everyone yeah, all age g- groups gather the, the people of abandon so like just for any of the people from abandon or the uh, surrounding land it's just essential that you just come in and enjoy the festival um because it, it's the people of abandon it's uh, they're the ones that are going to make the festival successful, really. And it's a new festival? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there's yeah. a committee of nine, so they've been working tirelessly behind the scenes and they've still quite a bit to go yet to get everything sorted because the festival is going on over four days with a ton of events going on over the four days. So In August, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah August yeah. bank holiday. Yeah, so they've a lot done and a lot to do. Like It's very hard to get a new festival off the ground because... It, sponsorship is an obvious one you know at least when a festival is up and running you can go back and say well look this is what we've done on previous years this really yeah. worked but you're selling a concept so it's it's it can be tricky exactly exactly but like everybody's putting in the, the work but as I say it's kind of up to the people of Bandon now to take advantage of the festival get out enjoy it and just partake okay are you involved in the in organising it or uh, I'm going to be helping Denise Queen. She's the the chairman of the festival, so we're coming together to organise the community games. So okay. basically, we're trying to set up a, a fitness based competition. That's just going to be a bit of crack, really. So we have, or Denise has contacted all the gyms there now in Bandon. We're trying to get teams from the gyms or teams from our local clubs, gar clubs, rugby clubs, etc. And we're just going to meet up on the day, do three or four workouts, have a bit of crack. That sounds like a fun the, event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that's that's what the that's what they've all these festivals are. They're they're fun events, and it's uh, exactly. and I like the idea of bringing bringing the gathering. I like the idea of bringing a community together. Yeah, yeah. No, a, a great name for it. Yeah, it's fantastic. An name for it. Well, well done, you and and the Thank other and the other ten. You're, yeah, you're, no, you're a fit absolutely bunch. Absolutely fantastic. They played a blinder, and like it. Basically, just 
they took it in their stride. And you did, I mean, you did train for it. This wasn't something you woke up on Saturday morning and decided to do. Well, we did train for a bit and we we worked on taking the roads apart and putting them back together. Obviously, that was something we weren't going to be used to. But at the end of the day, the people that came up with me and all the members that I have here, here in the gym, they train week in, week out for the yeah. goodness of their own health. Yeah, They're not training to fit into a dress or a short or any of this kind of crack. They train to be healthy. Well and done. Well done. Any one of the guys here at the gym would have been able for that challenge. Uh, I don't know about carrying up a rowing machine, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. It was it was novel and it was it was terrific. Uh, we'll talk again, uh, Teddy. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. No bothers at all. And Good morning you. to you. Bye bye, bye bye, Teddy Nine. Uh, there after what was it? Amazing. I just thought, I just thought it was a, a really an amazing challenge. That, you know, to climb Caron Tool itself is you know no mean achievement, uh, but then to do it with two rowing machines as well. I <laughs> I smiled when Teddy said. The other people who had decided to climb the mountain, highest mountain in Ireland last Saturday and they picked the day that when they get up there there's 11 lunatics from Bandon who are up there having climbed with their rowing machine, assembled the rowing machine and going rowing the equivalent of a marathon and making them feel uh, really great about after they think God aren't we after doing so well to get to the top of the mountain and then you see this bunch uh, at the top of it so well done and we will speak more about that new festival and we will be encouraging people uh, for that festival on the August Bank Holiday weekend to get out there and support them because it's all volunteers you know it's it's um, community that community spirit is absolutely uh, terrific 1850 some of your texts coming in rabbits rabbit infestation that got mentioned yesterday Alyssa says best cure for rabbit infestation is to get a cat cat's or a Jack Russell Terrier. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, well, yeah, it'll work. It'll definitely get rid of the a Jack Russell Terrier. And cats. I, I had a cat once who, many occasions, came in with a rabbit, including a live rabbit one night that we rescued and, and returned to the wild because it wasn't doing any problems in my garden. So we, we let it go back out into the wild. Wonderful to see, says another texter, Barry's Tea discontinuing their sponsorship to the greyhound industry also what a pity our government don't do the same it made me so mad when I hear the likes of Katrina Toomey speaking to you on your programme Patricia only yesterday about poverty and yet our own government are wasting so much of taxpayers money on the greyhound industry and it and the cruelty that goes with it and they're doing that while children are going hun- hungry God rest Peter Barry he would be very proud of his company for day today for what they have decided uh, to do that came in by text someone else says Patricia there's a water leak in Milford Ro- Milford Road is that Milford? no sorry Milford down the Laura Road. It's been there for the past month and I don't know if the council are aware of it. Now I'm wondering if anybody in the Milford area has contacted the council to make them aware. It's very unusual that there would be a leak going on for a month that somebody wouldn't have contacted the council to make them aware because certainly whenever they uh, hear about a leak they're doing their bit and of course it's under the auspices of Irish Water. Irish Water are doing everything that they possibly can to try to fix leaks uh, we know that they have to act immediately when there's a burst pipe but if they get word a notification from someone in an area to say there ha- there is a leak they normally are pretty quick to get out there and sort it out Mushra Platform Dance says the texter is on next Sunday the 7th of July music is by 
Mike, Helen and Southern Pride and dancing is from three to half past five and all are welcome to come along to Musha Platform Dancing. On the way, we will be hearing about the East Cork Greenway, uh, which is going to give a major boost uh, to the East Cork area. We'll have details on that. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some reaction to the piece I did about Nina, one of our listeners who is trying, was trying to buy a house in the Mallow area and she bid online through a company that I hadn't heard about before called Bidex One and they basically are an an online auctioneer really and they do auctions. Their next auction, for example, is on the 10th of July. Nina bid on a house. She was lucky enough to be the highest bidder handed over her deposit and then discovered when she went to the property that there's people living there to be told by the people. She obviously got in conversation saying, I've just bought the house. And they said, we're here 14 years. We've no intention of moving out and actually said that they tried to buy the house, but obviously weren't, weren't successful. Nina's decided she wants to walk away doesn't want the hassle of it with this family that are there for 14 years. But she's caught in a dilemma because it seems she's led to believe under the terms and conditions with the company she'll lose her four and a half thousand euro deposit. She just basically wants her money back and to start all over again. Some of, and looking for advice as to what listeners feel that she should do and in the meantime we have sent uh, an email off to this company BIDX when we haven't heard anything back John Paul says he's not too hopeful of hearing anything back but we'll wait and see. Texas says I thought all property sales in Ireland are subject to some clause called vacant possession. I sold a house and I was obliged to get the tenant out before the sale closed. Yeah, I don't know if that comes into play with this house that Nina is uh, talking about. Another listener says the house bidder, Nina, should try lodging a claim with the small claims court. If it falls into their terms of reference, the company may ignore them and lose uh, the case and she might get her money that way. I don't know. Does does that fall in under four and a half thousand? Does that fall in under small claims court if it's a deposit on a house? I don't know. But thank you for the advice. It certainly is another avenue for Nina to pursue. While John says, uh, hi Patricia, just a thought there. Did she buy the property without looking at it first? Question mark, question mark, question mark, says John. John, the very same thought went through my head when I saw the commentary come in from John Paul because I wasn't speaking with Nina. John Paul was speaking with her uh, off air. It does look like, because when you go onto this website, it gives all the details of the property. John Paul says normally what they do is they'll have an open house and an open viewing maybe on one day, but you can't just go, you know, make a booking and, and go along to see the house. This is the way this type of auction works. I know she'd certainly, she knew the area, she knew where the house was and she'd driven by the house. After that, I don't know, did she just take all of the information that she got online? Because it was after her bid was accepted, she was told she was the highest bidder, she paid the deposit and then she went back and realised that there was tenants there. So whether there was an open house and the tenants weren't there at the time, I don't know. Basically, that's the situation she finds herself in. But uh, you're, you're not the only one who that thought, that thought went through my head as well. 1850-333-103. Jur on the slow drivers and how frustrated he is. He travels the Cork to Mallow Road a number of times every day for work. 
and he's just getting very frustrated in the last, he reckons about two years for whatever reason people are slowing down and it's causing a backlog and it's causing a big tailback of traffic you know almost like you get into a tailback of traffic and you're thinking oh there's something going on here is there an accident and it actually turns out there isn't it was just the leader of that pack of 40, 50 cars was just a slow driver and it's slowing everybody down and he just had a bit of a rant on the programme today and he has certainly hit a nerve because we have been flooded with calls and texts from people who are in the main I have to say agreeing with Jer. there are some are saying no but the majority by far the majority of our calls and texts today on slow drivers agree with Jer. let me bring some of them Colette says speed signs are not a target I wonder if Jer is on a deadline to get from A to B the amount of lorry slash van drivers that have overtaken me because I'm doing the actual set speed or haven't sped up quickly enough uh, and they decide had enough and the frustration and they overtake me. A food van delivery delivering to restaurants overtook me and other cars the last one being a dairy gold truck. He overtook us all on double lines on a blind hill. He kept overtaking one car at a time and then when he got to the blind hill took over the last one. Uh, Somebody was praying for him, that was for sure. I thought he was going to crash at least twice. I thought we were going to get in front of the lorry I thought he'd be dead by the side of the road. I said, for sure, there's going to be a car coming against him. Luckily, he wasn't. He'd have been blown off the road. Now, I said, I decided to ring the company because obviously it was a food delivery. So the name of the company was on it. So I rang the company. I gave them the details of the road that the man was uh, on. To be told by whoever answered the phone, he's on a time schedule. He needed to get from A uh, to B, but they did say that they would talk to him. I hate drivers who drive in the hard shoulder, half in, half out. Sometimes this can be what elderly people do. And just as you're passing them out, they decide to pull on over into your lane. That really frustrates me, says Colette. Now, some of the calls into John Paul. Who will I start with? Tom in Rathgormach. I feel slow drivers are as dangerous as fast drivers. I feel people try and pass them out and that just adds to the danger. I feel there should be a limit on how slow a driver can go, how slow is slow and that should be put in place particularly on our main roads. Paddy said, so while you have an upper speed of 100 you can't go below 80. That would be Tom's thinking and if you do you'd be fined. Paddy says, I travel all over West Cork and a lot around the McCroom area. Slow drivers are getting more hazardous and they are frustrating other drivers. They are the cause of many accidents. I've come across a tractor with a trailer heading from Inishannon to Bandon one day and the person driving it would not pull in even though there was a long tailback of traffic behind heading into Bandon. Then another day I had a driver travelling at a very low speed. Likewise he wouldn't pull in to let other traffic building up behind him pass. Ted in Bandon said I travelled from Bandon to Clonakilty just last week. A tractor stayed on the road from just outside Bandon right beyond Ballinasgarthy. Cars could easily have passed out when he could see there was no cars coming but the tractor would would not pull in. He had loads of opportunities to pull in. Very frustrating. Eileen in for Moy says, where do I start, Patricia, with slow drivers? I drive a lot of rural roads where many people are only driving between 60 and 80 kilometres, which is perfect. But when you come across drivers that are doing 20 to 30 kilometres, I was going up a hill one day and I swear to God, the driver in front of me couldn't have been doing more than 50 
15 kilometres. It was a steep hill. He was going so slow. I decided I better keep my distance in case he decided to roll back on top of me. You will hear people say that slow drivers do not kill. But how do we know that? People that are passing out slow drivers due to frustration, they're usually the ones being killed and they're only passing out because they have got so frustrated with driving behind the person going so slow. I wouldn't mind somebody doing 80 in a 100 kilometre zone, but it's when they drop back to 50 that it really drives me mad. And Caroline in Crookstown said at certain times of the day on the Cork to McCroom Road, every diver seems to be travelling at 70 kilometres, while the road is set at 100 kilometres per hour. And then once they get to the Ballancolic Bypass, they decide they become like motor drivers. This is the road that then goes to 120 kilometres. They hit the, that road and they'll hit 140. Can never understand when they're on the rural roads, they seem to be more nervous and they slow down. And then when they get on the mo- motorway, they're actually uh, driving at excessive speed. If people are driving, nervous driving on rural roads, then my advice is stay off them. And Elizabeth in Castelline says, I feel people are rushing too much today. So if somebody feels they want to drive at a slower pace, they should be allowed to. We all own the roads, says Elizabeth in Castle Lines. Joe in Mitchellstown says there's no need for speed. No matter what speed you're at, you'll eventually arrive at your destination a few minutes later uh, than the guy who was doing the big speed. It makes no difference. And Mary in Clonakilty wants to raise an issue. This isn't thank you. They're just some of the, one, some of the ones coming in on speeding. Mary in Clonakilty wants to raise an issue for cyclists. It was to do with roads again. The new Clonakilty road out of Clonakilty town where you pass the hospital heading towards Bandon. That road was recently redone, which was great. Uh, But they have installed curbing on the side of the road, which is for walkers. The walkers walk inside the curb. But, Mary says, there's a problem. There's no room for cyclists. If you're driving on the road, the RSA constantly telling us the ad is on every night of the week about the distance you must leave between the cyclist and the motorist. But because the lanes are narrowing and there's new curbing, you can't leave the required room. So I don't know what exactly they want from drivers. Also, cyclists sometimes do not pull in on the roadway. They're another reason for traffic being slowed down. Uh, listen, I'm not going to get into cyclists because that's we've we've done that endlessly done uh, that argument. Kitty into Hollow says agri vehicles do pull in. She says some don't, but the vast majority do. Please don't tar us all with the one brush. So Kitty in some way involved with the driving of agricultural vehicles. Linda in Mill Street, there's no need for the speed. I often get passed out on a road by a speeding motorist. And then when I get up to the next set of traffic lights, the person will be two or three cars ahead of me. So really no need at all for the speed. Breda in Bally Desmond says the Mallard to Killarney Road, lethal for speeding drivers. It's some of these drivers are forcing drivers off the road as they are not going fast enough. And at times you have the other extreme of slow drivers that is frustrating people out on the roads. Okay, 1850-333-103. And thank you to a couple of people who've reacted to Serview when somebody said their Serview wasn't working for the last day or two. A few calls, John Paul says, from Ballyno and Connor, saying that they've had no Serview for two months. And I'm assuming you've been on to Serview. Do we know why Serview was gone in the Ballynocona area for two months? Whatever about a day or two. I, 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 are you surviving without TV for two months? If you are, hopefully you're tuned in to the radio.
And Jim in Clonakilty, just a final one to say, I pay my electricity bill, but because I use so little, I'm penalised. I get charged this low usage charge. But Jim says, if I decide to insulate my house and therefore I'll use less electricity, will that con- will they continue to charge me less because of my usage. We're all being encouraged to reduce our carbon footprint, but yet they penalise us at the same time if we don't use enough electricity. Is anybody else annoyed by that low usage cost? Yeah, I, we've, I've heard of a few people being caught with low usage, but normally I thought it was for people who didn't live. You know, if you've got a holiday home and you don't visit it that often and you get the low usage charge. I didn't realise people actually living in a house. I thought if you were living there, you'd be using enough even, you know, if you were quite frugal with your electricity. I didn't realise that people are using that little electricity that while living in their house that they're being penalised. Um, I wasn't aware of that, Jim. But you do make a valid point. We are being encouraged to reduce our carbon footprint and you seem to be reducing your carbon footprint by not using a lot of electricity and for that you get penalised. Don't make any sense to me either. 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Blood Transfusion Service Board. They've got donor clinics in the Cork Racecourse in Mallow today and tomorrow. 3 to 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9pm on both nights. The Joe Dolan Tribute Show. That's going ahead in Banascarthy Hall tonight at 8. Tickets are available at Teddy shop are calling 087-146-4850. Donations of used adult-sized football boots, please. Wanted for a group undertaking volunteer work in Sri Lanka. The boots can be dropped into Seamus in the Tharish Jock charity shop in Dunmanway. St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville, they're hosting their 32nd annual Greyhound Benefit Meeting at Curraheen Park in Cork. That's happening next Saturday night. First race is at 7.50. You can get more details from the Foundation 063 89252. While Town and Spittle branches of Kyoltis are hosting a series of trad sessions at Acton's Hotel in Kinsale this summer. The lively shows kick off from 8 o'clock on next Sunday the 7th of July. The shows will run on every Sunday night until mid-August. Light refreshments will be served and it's open to all the family. Now, people in East Cork are hoping a new greenway will bring a major boost to the area. The government have approved €8 million for the Middleton Yall Greenway, which will be developed along the old railway track. Cork County Council is expected to invest a further eight to twelve million in the project and it's hope that work will commence around September of this year. The Greenway will have stops at Killa and Mogili and C103 senior news reporter Fiona Corkum has been speaking to people about what they think of the project. First Fiona spoke with local County Councillor Mary Lenahan Foley who says the Greenway will bring huge benefits. 100% welcoming this development. Um, I suppose this development is going to be the icing on the cake for Yall Town. We're looking at a derelict site out there with the last 30 years. And as I mentioned, I put forward a motion about two years ago at full council at Cork County Council, and it was unanimously supported. So the welcome news and thanks to David Stanton and the departments for the 8 million. 
that has been granted. It's great, great news again for y'all, so it's going to put us on the map. Uh, Cork County Council will come in with the rest of the funding. I think it's approximately 12 million is what it will cost in total. Um, where we are in it at the moment, I suppose, is we're hoping September, October we'll see a start in it. What is it going to bring to the town here? What we have here and what we're depending on here in y'all's total. here in Mogili, what will it mean to the people of Mogili to have the Greenway here? Oh, it's just absolutely brilliant going to be, you know um, it, it means a lot for the people that, especially, there's a lot of walking with dogs, there's a lot of kids, you know, and it's going to make a big, big difference And it'll bring a lot of people into Mogili? Yeah, into the village as well So we could do a little coffee shop here maybe, <laughs> you know, something Along them lines as well, and a shop there, apart from the co-op, the creamery, there's no real shop around here, but maybe someone will get together and open up just a little coffee shop and sweet shop or something. My name is Sarah Ryan, and this is um, Centra Killa in Killa, yeah. And uh, Sarah, obviously Killa is going to be one of the points on this, one of the stop-off points on this greenway. What will it mean for the town of Killa to have something like this? Um, I think it will, like, boost the area, um... I think it'll just, like, even to y'all, like, it'll even bring, um, you know, more tourists. Um, and, you know, even, like, at the weekends, it's great, like, for families and stuff, like, even to get out with their kids, you know, to, you know, a bit of exercise and fresh air. <laughs> and I mean, is it something, do you think, that the locals here will use as well? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even, like, I'm even thinking of even using it and even getting a bike, like, for when it does come, even to bring my small one as well. So, yeah, I think it'll boost the area. Um, I've been to the one in Dungarvan, so like, um, even like, even like, if they could do something here, like that, you could even hire a bike. You know, I think it would help because like most people wouldn't have, you know, like if they're travelling far, like they wouldn't have, um, you know, they wouldn't be able to bring them. Like, so it's kind of handy, like just pay for the day and, you know, bring it back, like when you're finished. I suppose a town like Killa, it would be like Kilmac Thomas, I suppose, on yeah. the on the Waterford Greenway. And I mean, it's booming, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've been there. Um, they have um, like a little tunnel and stuff like that. Like, and it's just the way it's laid out. It's nice, and you can see a little fairy door. So if we could even do something like that here, like, um, I think to to boost it, yeah. Padraig Hennessy, Clancy's front strand, y'all. Absolutely can't wait for the project to uh, to come to y'all. Y'all has been waiting for a, a huge announcement like this for years and years. And uh, I think y'all and the residents of y'all and the business of y'all have been waiting for an opportunity to showcase our town and to bring the Greenway to y'all. Because, I mean, y'all is, um, it is a beautiful town and in the summertime it does really well with tourists. But then in the wintertime there's not really anything to attract people here. No, there's not. But we do have the Asheville Beach and the Boardwalk, which we do get a lot of people from, from Wyoming, Mallow, Mitchell's Town. They do come and walk the beach and if it's a nice winter of course they will come and enjoy the the strand but yeah no definitely i think the greenway will bring an awful lot of people here to y'all for the october november january february time of the year so yeah looking forward you'll be overlooking it and i'd say it would be a welcome change from what you're looking at now yes we actually clancy's can't wait for it um this this is the area where it's going to start you know it's parking right across from clancy's and um this is where the the all side of the greenway or the my way is going to start and uh, instead of looking at bushes and trees, hopefully we'll be looking at tarmac and, and uh, some nice wooden paths, you know. And my name is Shaw Costigan and this is Jim Crowley's Craft Butchers. What do yourself and the people of Middleton think of the Greenway idea? Ah, uh, the Greenway. I think the Greenway will be great for the town. You know, we've had nothing 
for ages. You know, we got to train session a few years back, and I'm originally from Middleton, and it'll be I think it'll be a great addition to the town. Do you think that, uh, you know, I know that some people have called for it to be turned back into a railway line to open up that connection between Middleton and Yall. Would you be more in favour of that or more in favour of the Greenway? Uh, me personally, I'd probably be more in favour of a Greenway. You know, especially for, for local kids and, you know, just for cyclists, for, for everybody really. And thanks to Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, for that report on the East Cork Greenway, which is going to be huge, absolutely huge for that area. We've been talking about speeding and the opposite of speeding, slow driving on the programme uh, this morning. Jerry in Cantor contacted us uh, to say at Lombardstown Cross, heading into Mallow this very morning at 7am Jerry was driving motoring along at 100 kilometres an hour which is the speed limit for that road suddenly he got overtaken by a car who started passing him out and then at the same time as the car was passing out Jerry obviously going above 100 kilometres because Jerry looked at his speedometer he was definitely doing 100 kilometres so the car overtaking him had to be doing what 105, 110 and then he said I don't know why I'm laughing because this isn't funny a van decided to pass out the car that was passing out Jerry. So he said at one stage there was three cars driving parallel all in towards Mallow. Total madness. Total madness. And all it would need would have been a split second for a car to come in the other way. Just shocking. Absolutely shocking. And that happened this morning at 7am. It's a coincidental that we're talking about um, slow driving today because that certainly was fast driving and utter and absolute stupidity. Maybe the people involved because they'll know the two drivers, the person driving the car and then the person driving the van overtaking the car who was overtaking Jerry in the car. If they're listening, they'll know exactly who they are. Shame on you. And uh, just, you know, my, look after yourselves on the road, but look after other people as well. If you want to go out and kill yourself in a car accident, but just be aware of the damage you can be doing to other people and other families uh, as well. Just to let you know, we're going to go in gardening with Peter Dowd in a couple of minutes. So get it. If you've got a question for Peter, get it in, please. 1850 Just want to give you advance warning of a piece that we're doing tomorrow. We're bringing on the Environmental Protection Agency tomorrow because there is a new report out into septic tanks and it shows half of Cork County's septic tanks failed an inspection. Now, before people get panicky over that, there isn't, I mean, it doesn't run into tens of thousands of septic tanks because unfortunately they don't test tens of thousands of septic tanks. But of the ones that they did test, half of them failed the inspection. So we're going to do a piece with the Environmental Protection Agency on septic tanks. I'm interested to find out what causes them to fail. And for anybody listening to us who's living in a house with a septic tank the do's and the don'ts and the why's and the wherefores and what do you need to know and how dangerous is it if your septic tank is not working properly would you know if it wasn't working properly because I'm assuming when the Environmental Protection Agency went in to do these inspections and then half the households were contacted to say you failed I'm assuming most of them didn't realise there was anything wrong with the septic tanks so if you have a question with regard to septic tanks, can you get it into us this afternoon, overnight or early tomorrow morning and we can put it to an expert with the Environmental Protection Agency and hopefully answer any queries that you may have. 1850 333 103, text WhatsApp 086 2103 103 and you can email Patricia at c103.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com, uh, joining us on what is another sunny Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. A lovely sunny day, Trish. How are yeah, you? Yeah, it's great. It's, and it's it, this is lovely weather for gardening because it isn't too hot. No, this is very um, Irish summer, isn't it? This is like 18, 19 degrees. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, but we've already had some calls in from people saying that uh, window boxes are drying out. And they are, and, and hanging baskets, and I'm I'm getting a lot of queries from people about, you know, plants that they've just planted this summer and why are they shriveling up, and it is just a, a question of, of not getting water to them. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, as you say, it's comfortable weather, it's not overly hot, but it's certainly dry, hot enough to dry out um, uh, window boxes, hanging baskets, anything that, that's newly planted will dry out in this heat. But you don't have to, you, I mean, they are quite forgiving. I mean, a hanging basket, if it's dried out after a couple of days, it'll come back to life with a good soaking, won't it? Well, it, there is a fine line when it comes to things like summer containers, hanging baskets, window boxes, etc. There's a couple of, of tips and the things that you could do at the start. Uh, in other words, by uh, uh, using a, a water-retaining gel, mixing that in with the compost, that will certainly help. Or using self-watering containers. They're containers which have a, a built-in water reservoir at the base of them, so they don't dry out as easily. But... If you think that each window box or hanging basket could have as many as 15 plants mm. drawing moisture from the same compost area, then I'm afraid if it, if it if it dries out for a day or two, they may not be as forgiving oh, okay. as, as you might hope. Yeah, Yeah. okay. All right, so just wa- you've, you've got to remember the watering at this time of year. Okay, let me go straight into questions. Mary is growing tomatoes in a grow bag. She has them in a timber shed with the door open. She's wondering, should she put them outside now? Also, what bit does she pick off it's okay it depends on uh, I kind of leave well alone I don't really pick many of them off except maybe when you have enough uh, fruits formed you want the energy to go into the fruits that have that are already there and then maybe remove new, new flowers because you don't want more fruits forming but you're a while off that yet I'd say uh, th- and then any any leaves that look like they're diseased or any leaves that look yellow or anything like that certainly remove them but I would err on the side of of, le- of doing little, less is more, and let nature do its thing. And we had a call about this last week, a similar call. But um, in terms of moving them out, I would certainly be moving them outside now if they're a variety suitable for outdoors. They're not all outdoor varieties. Some are only for glass houses. But if they're an outdoor variety that you've been growing in a shed, I certainly would move them out now, yeah. Okay. Hi, Peter from John. Could you, mo- could you move a rhododendron at this time of year? You could, but it will die. Ah, okay. <laughs> about it, I'm sorry. Um, it, you don't move anything out of the ground at this time of the year because plants are obviously using every bit of their root system every day, every minute of every day at the moment. But absorb it. They absorb water and nutrients from the soil through the root hairs, Trish. Now, the root hairs are microscopic, so obviously we can't see them, but they're at the, the total extremities of the root system. Um, so whenever you lift something out of the ground, it's unavoidable that you're going to sever some of those extremities and leave some of the root hairs in the ground. And they then that plant then can't get water and nutrient out of the ground. Now, as I say, every minute of every day at the moment, it's, it's using every single root hair. But during the winter, if you cause that damage or do that damage during the winter, the plant uh, has time to repair the damage and produce more and new root hairs before it, it actively needs, uh, needs to, to draw water and nutrients up next spring. So the time to do it, move anything really, is kind of November to February. Okay, uh, hi. Oh, the, Michael and Bantry said, I heard on Guardian's World, the TV programme, where you can plant bulbs now. Is that not a bit early? Mm, 
where are we? It depends on what you're planting, what you're growing. If you wanted to plant things like your your very early, your crocus, your your what do you call it, your um, snowdrops. Snowdrops we yeah. planted in the green, so they're they're better off planted the earlier, the better actually. You, you plant them nearly as early as February, March for next year. That's your snowdrops. Your June, your your very early daffodils. Maybe you could plant. Or sorry, we're in July now, of course. No, so yeah, you could plant most of them actually. You, you could plant your your daffodils. I would certainly hold off on things like tulips. They'll all benefit from being planted later, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I didn't see the Gardeners World program that they were talking about. So I don't know which exact bulbs they were talking about, but certainly your early spring bulbs, your your crocus, your snowdrops, get them in. Uh, iris, your Dutch iris, anything like that, you could certainly start getting them in now. And what we've often spoke about, Trish, you and I, is the idea of staggering the plants. Mm. So if you plant a few now, and if you keep planting a few every week or every fortnight till, till the end of October, well, then you'll have a big, glorious display next spring over a staggered period of time as well. Which is lovely. And you just get it for that one year that they're planted. Yes, yeah. the staggered effect, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Peter, query on nettles, please. I have a flower bed near a very sheltered wall, and any time I put anything in, the nettles seem to take over. What time of year can I spray or dig out the nettles, and what should I be using? Well, I would only go with the digging out. I would go with a, a shovel and a good, strong pair of gloves because the, the only problem with nettles, of course, is that they're sting. Mm. Now, their roots, their root system, they will come out quite easily. You will get the, a clump of nettles out quite easily, but their root system is quite elastic. So I don't think that, uh, unless you're very lucky or very, very diligent, I don't think if you go at it once with the, with the shovel and gloves, you'll, you'll eradicate every single met, nettle. They more will come. But it's not, they're not half as much a problem as the dreaded knotweed or even bindweed or anything like that. They will come out maybe in the second year or whatever's left. You'll, you'll see them quite obviously and dig them out then. Um, I would say that you, you could go at them now. Why not? No time like the present, as the fellow says, but just cut them back first to be my advice so that there's less up there to start stinging at your arms or your torso or even your face. So cut them back quite hard and then go at them with a shovel. Uh, and I'm afraid, yeah, no matter what you plant in there, the you know, the nettles aren't going to magically disappear. You're going to have to need to get rid of them first. And they're a horrible... It's, it's one of those things we all remember from our childhood. They're a horrible sting. Oh, the sting is... They yeah. really are. They really are. But, 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 as a, as a plant of value, yeah. they're a very, very valuable plant. Yeah. They're, they're valuable for an awful lot of the butterflies that we, we will be enjoying over the next couple of months. Uh, their larvae and their caterpillar feed on, on, on the nettles and that they lay their eggs on nettles. Uh, so they're a very valuable plant from the biodiversity point of view. They are good for the pollinators as well. So and yeah, they have health benefits. Having. If you talk to any herbalist, they've got health benefits uh, as well. Did you, ever, did you ever taste nettle juice, Trish? No, is it awful? I'm sure it's very, very good for you. Oh, is it? <laughs> but, oh, it's oh. but it is, they do have very strong... And then also, of course, the nettles make a very good fertiliser and a compost accelerator. So there's loads of benefits to nettles, but uh, in the hedgerow... But, yeah, uh, the but, but in, but in uh, this lady's flower bed, it's the last place no, exactly. uh, you want them. Now, Mary in Ballingiri uh, is looking for advice on how to use seaweed. She put seaweed on her rhubarb and it burnt it to the ground. Now, she admits she got a bucket of seaweed, put it all on the rhubarb and it burnt so she said I've yes. obviously done something wrong how do you put seaweed on or use seaweed it was very simple but the seaweed the seaweed didn't burn but I suspect the seaweed didn't burn the rhubarb but it was the salt content the salt that came with it so what I would say is collect seaweed 
And we, ha- we had a caller who knew what they were talking about, because I was always a bit dubious, wasn't I, about whether or not yeah. you're actually allowed to go and take seaweed. And, but we got, we got a, a, def- a definitive answer. answer. You are allowed. Yeah, you are allowed, provided it's on the coast, it's yeah. on the sea, it's on the strand. So you're yeah. not allowed to take it from the water, but you're cut it off rocks, but you're allowed to take it from the, from the strand. So anyway, um, what I do is, what I would do, and what I would recommend you do, get a couple of wheelbarrows, a couple of buckets full, uh, and if you have somewhere that you can just stand it out, just lay it out and let the rain wash it, uh, and let it even just for a few weeks to to wash the salt content out, uh, so it's still relatively fresh. Even if you leave, you can leave it for as much as twelve months, it'll still have the the nutrient benefit. Uh, but but leave it, or leave it get washed out. Either do it with a hose or let nature do it, uh, and let it wash out the salt content. And I think that's what burnt the rhubarb, not the actual seaweed itself. Yeah, because we had that problem when we were putting uh, advising people to put salt down on footpaths. Yes, in, very in, much so. And when the salt went into the side of the grass, it burnt all the side of the grass. Yes, uh, in the winter months so you, you've, you've got to be careful of that Ger in Ballinhasig uh, Robin hedging uh, which is lovely and red at the moment but he needs to cut it back when is the best time? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a hedge that I love it's the red robin Fortinia red robin and a well maintained or well trimmed red robin I'm actually I'm in Waterford at the moment Chris, I'm up in County Waterford I'm looking at a red robin hedge right in front of me and it looks spectacular because it has been well maintained but a poorly maintained one looks desperate so he's right to be asking the question it looks lovely and red at the moment but how do I keep it that way uh, so I would say trim it back in September wait till the, the, the middle of September the end of September trim it back then and then cut it back harder in the middle of February uh, just before the new growth starts and that will keep all the new growth right down where you want it and keep it good and bushy and, and of course pruning it will encourage more red growth so that's what you want and it sounds glorious at the moment when he says it's lovely and red uh, Kathleen in Drumaham the purple fox she has purple fox gloves but she also has pink and white fox gloves she's wondering what she can do to preserve them what can I put around the stems to identify the white ones as they grow in between the pink foxgloves they're growing wild but it would be a shame not to look after them so it's obviously the bulbs is it she wants to dig out I, I'm not sure exactly no. what, what would often come there is people wanting to identify it's very obviously very obviously it's easy to see the different varieties when they're in full flower but of course mm. when the flowers are gone in the, in the late autumn uh, you just have the leaves so you're, you're trying to identify which is which and that's impossible so I, I'm, I'm guessing she's just trying to to keep a track on what colour is what okay. uh, or, or perhaps maybe that area is going to be weed killed or something later on and she wants to keep the, the fox dove um, now the thing is the wild fox dove which is digitalis purpurea is the purple one and the hybridised and the other varieties like your albas and there's one fringua and all those, those different uh, different coloured forms of apricot shades, you have palms choice, you have a lot of these are man-made cultivars um, and the seeds from these will not come true from types. So in other words, if you have palms choice growing with the beautiful white one with a kind of purple throat, it's a really lovely plant, but it, the seed of it won't come with that colour, the seed of it will come purple, it'll come the common species. Uh, so my advice is not to not to get too caught up in it, not to get too head up about it and let nature do what it's going to do and some of the, the, the cultivated forms are perennial. Okay. They come back on in their own year after year, even though their offspring won't. Uh, but some of them are biennial. So even if you do go to the effort of identifying what clump is what now, once they flower, they're going to die off anyway. So I, would, I wouldn't get too caught up uh, on trying to isolate particular colours because it's, nature is going to do what nature wants it to do here anyway. And nothing really that you can do is going to help. So... Most new seedlings will come back as the common purple form. If you want to bulk up on perennial forms, um, 
when they've got to a big enough stage. But then, as I say, some of them are biennial, but they're going to die off anyway. And, and it, I love that. I mean, they are wildflower. I love to see them growing on the side of the road. They are magnificent. Oh, my God, you get a burst of colour and they just, it looks fabulous. It looks, it's, it, it really And does, it's, it's yeah. nice that Kathleen is trying to look after them, even though they're wildflowers. So, just, so well just done. Driving, just driving through. I do a lot of travelling around the country, Trish, as you know, and, and a lot of your listeners, obviously, they would everyone, of course, we're all just driving all the time, but we have to just stop and admire the hedgerows yeah. at the moment. I mean, they're one of our natural resources that we, that we just fly by every day and they're so important for biodiversity and for wildlife and for everything. Uh, but apart from that, apart from their important message, I just think, as you just said there, you stop and look at a hedgerow yeah. full of, of purple loosestrife, uh, foxgloves, oxeye daisies, uh, honey. So they are just gorgeous. Just stop and look at them and admire them at the moment. I love all the wild daisies, the big, tall yeah, wild daisies. They oh, they're magnificent. They really are magnificent. Okay. Caller from the Skibbereen area. Hi, uh, Patricia. Could you ask Peter, uh, please, regarding Serfinias? Serfinias? Plants yep. all perfect up to two weeks ago. The leaves have gone dead. Is it wind damage or could it be a blight thing? Says Mr. Mm. Skibbereen. <laughs> Difficult one to, to without seeing it. Now that's a difficult one to answer without seeing it for sure. Uh, the Serfinias, treasure the trailing petunias. You know the petunias that you'd have in your hanging baskets or window boxes. Again, the yeah. as I call it the Clonakilty look. Clonakilty yeah. is just full of Serfinias uh, and stunning. As to why they just died off where they were doing fine, it could be several things. It could be an environmental factor, which is the first question we had on today's piece. Maybe they dried out. So it is possible if they dried out for a few days that will have done it and that's the way you're describing it that's exactly what they'd look like it, it could be some kind of a fungal or bacterial infection has got into them absolutely impossible to say that with any degree of certainty without seeing them um, if they're in containers which were waterlogging and holding too much water um, then they would that is very possible a fungal infection got in through the stagnant water and, and killed them they drowned if you like uh, but equally the symptoms are the same with the opposite when they dried out so send a picture into, into yourselves or into myself on Facebook the Irish Gardener I'll have a look at it for you uh, there's 12,000 followers of my page and they're, they're always happy to offer advice and solutions so you'll always get a, a good suggestion there but I couldn't say for definite without seeing it certainly Okay and Mary and Bandon Hi uh, Patricia could you ask Peter why are all my palm trees going brown but the root is perfect. Again, without, pardon the pun now, without hedging the question, <laughs> it, it is difficult to say because it does depend on several things. That, on number one, what conifer they are. Uh, number two, how brown they're going, if you like. In other words, if it's just random ones around the place are going brown, well, that does ring alarm bells. Uh, but it's quite common at the same time where you'd have a mature conifer hedge and suddenly you just see every so often a random one dying off, and that is often caused by a problem called Phytophthora, uh, which is a nightmare. It could be honey fungus as well, it's, but it's one of the serious ones normally when you see that situation. So if that describes the color situation, I would get somebody to have a look at it sooner rather than later. Again, send in a photograph and we'll have a look at it. If it's a more general browning where all of them are going a bit brown, again, that could be an environmental factor. Maybe they got a spray of weed killer, maybe mm. they did get something or over a bit of fertilizer blew onto them and burnt them or scorched them. Maybe they were cut back a bit too hard. Maybe they were cut back a bit at the wrong time of the year. There are several things that could be causing that general browning. Uh, it's unlikely to be to be something like wind because if they're if they're matured, if they've been growing in the same area for many, many years, then they would have had the similar winds for many years. So it's unlikely to be that, but it could be something like fertilizer sprayed onto it or weed killer sprayed onto it uh, or they were cut back too hard. If it's a more general, if it's a random isolated plant dying here and there, that's something more serious, I'm afraid. Okay, so what are you, uh, anything special this week? I'm uh, 
just just finished now with a, f- a few days uh, a few days travelling with with the kids to start the summer holidays as they finish school. So uh, I'm back nose back to the grindstone now from tomorrow morning, and uh, there, there'll be no time for for resting now for the next couple of no, weeks. No, no. And the advice to everyone is just get out and start enjoying. This is the time to really enjoy the gardens, isn't it? Really. So I, that, you know what? That's what I always say. Summer, we're all running at full tilt. We're rushing and running, but so is the garden. And it's the kind of for me, it's the focus of the gardening year. Sit out if it, and don't feel bad for doing nothing. Just take a day off, sit out and enjoy the garden. It's all doing its thing at the moment. That's a good piece of advice. All right, listen, have a great week and we'll talk to you again uh, next Wednesday. And you, thanks. Thanks for that. That is uh, Peter Dowdle of the IrishGardener.com. And there is an open garden for Marymount that's on in Enniskeen uh, this weekend. And please uh, do your best to support uh, that. Now, before I let you go, uh, just a reminder to you that we're doing a piece tomorrow on... Uh, septic tanks. If you have a septic tank and you have a question about a septic tank, something's gone wrong with it or you're a bit worried about it, please get your question into us in plenty of time because we're going to have the Environmental Protection Agency join us. Now we're going to try to find out what's going wrong with septic tanks in Cork County. They have issued, uh, they've done inspections They've done them nationwide, but looking at Cork County, half of all of the septic tanks that were inspected by the EPA have failed. So we're going to try to find out what are the common reasons that they are failing and what people should do if they have a septic tank, what are the concerns uh, around it and any advice that they can give. So if you've got specific questions about your own septic tank, then please um, feel free to use the expert that's going to join us tomorrow. Get your questions in. And also we'll be looking at dog owners in Middleton who are throwing bags of dog poo into the trees in Middleton Cemetery. Absolutely shameful. That's where I leave you though for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We've had a busy show today. Thanks to everybody who contributed. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.